0: Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Wednesday, June 28th, and this is your FT News Briefing. Sierra Leone's president has locked down a second term, and yesterday's U.S. Supreme Court ruling might have an enormous impact on the 2024 elections. Plus, Japan is snapping up a company it thinks is indispensable to the global semiconductor industry. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. Sierra Leone's president just won himself another five years in office. The country's electoral commission announced yesterday that Julius Mada bio received 56% of the vote. This was a rematch of the 2018 election, with Bio running against former central bank governor Samura Kamara again. The opposition is rejecting the results, though. Kamara said they weren't credible, and international election observers from the EU said there was, quote, "...a lack of transparency at critical stages." The U.S. Supreme Court came out yesterday with a huge ruling on the way elections are run. The high court said that state courts should have the authority to review state election laws the way they do now. Here to break this down is the FT Stefania Palma. Hi, Stefania. Hi, Mark. All right, in non-legalese language, what exactly is this case about?
1: So the case stems from uh, North Carolina lawmakers uh, trying to appeal a decision that was taken by lower courts in the state uh, that had essentially ruled that electoral maps that had been uh, drawn up by North Carolina lawmakers were unconstitutional because they were drawn in a way that would have likely favored uh, Republican candidates in the state.
0: Gerrymandering—that's what that's called, right? C- Correct. Uh, so, why did the court rule against the GOP plan in this case? The North Carolina uh,
1: lawmakers were trying to argue um, in line with a legal theory called the independent state legislature theory, which essentially says that lawmakers should be free to regulate uh, elections with little oversight from state courts. Um, And some critics had actually warned that taking on quite an extreme version of of this principle could have actually allowed lawmakers in in U.S. states uh, to even potentially completely ignore voters and uh, maybe perhaps install their own uh, group of electors. And these are the votes that are actually counted by Congress to certify U.S. presidential elections. So the stakes were very, very high in terms of how broad the Supreme Court
0: was going to go with this opinion. But what does this say about the makeup of the Supreme Court itself? I mean, the lawsuit was brought by Republicans to a predominantly conservative court. I mean, what do you take away from that?
1: Some people I've been speaking to about this, some legal experts, were actually quite surprised because in recent years, the Supreme Court has not necessarily been very protective of voting uh, voters' rights. Uh, But this case involving North Carolina and another case uh, on which it ruled earlier this month um, with regards to a district map in the state of Alabama, uh, both of these decisions actually point to the fact that as one professor I spoke to put it, the Supreme Court is protecting states' rights, but it is also protecting voting rights.
0: Why is this case important for someone who hasn't been following this and they're just tuning into this today?
1: I think this case is fundamental, obviously, in the lead up to a presidential election at a time when the the U.S. is increasingly polarized from a political standpoint, but I think the debate around a case like the one involving North Carolina and Alabama as well really does touch upon basically some of the most hot-button issues in the U.S., which includes uh, issues like race, uh, access to voting. And this is something that, you know, it, it's not a new theme in the US. There's been a long history of debate around whether certain states have been drawing up uh, maps that don't respect voting rights on an equal scale. Um, and the, 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 most powerful courts in the U.S. making such a statement really speaks volumes in terms of how the tone of the debate around voting rights is being set both politically and legally.
0: Stefania Palma is the FT's U.S. legal and enforcement correspondent. Thanks, Stefania. Thank you. Semiconductors have become one of the hottest products on the planet and the U.S. and China are trying to one-up each other in semiconductor production. Japan finds itself stuck in the middle of this chip war. But it sees an opportunity. A Japanese state-backed fund this week agreed to buy one of Japan's leading semiconductor equipment makers for $6.4 billion. The company is
2: called JSR. Basically, if you're in the chip game, you know this company. That's the FT's Asia editor, Leo Lewis. He's based in Tokyo. It's not just that, you know, Japanese manufacturers are using this, manufacturers everywhere in the world are using it, including, you know, in, in China and a lot of the clients are in the US. And, and one of the ideas has been that this company, you know, could expand and grow on that, that global position more easily if it's got the government backing and the ability to kind of move with that kind of implicit endorsement of, of being bought out by this government-backed fund.
0: JSR started out by specializing in synthetic rubber. Over time, it expanded into specialty chemicals, and one of those chemicals has become a crucial part of manufacturing semiconductors. Now, going back to the deal, Leo says that the government isn't going to be in control of JSR, but they're going to have
2: a decent amount of influence. It's not going to sit on the board. Uh, It it will be sitting there in the background, sort of giving its nod, either expressly or or perhaps uh, behind the scenes. Uh, to the kind of expansion and consolidation that this company now is is likely to lead. Now, we should mention that Japan doesn't usually
0: intervene in the private sector like this. This government-backed fund has been used to rescue companies before, but it hasn't really put its muscle behind a powerhouse like
2: JSR. Leo says that this deal might be a turning point. I think that what we've been looking for is some evidence that Japan really is Japanese government is really looking at winners now. This is really about saying, look, we have got this situation where the US and China are at loggerheads. That's probably going to last a long time. We, Japan, are to some extent sitting in the middle of that. And the answer is, well, look, we need to be big and we need to be strong. And so I think this, you know, if this works out, I think we're looking at a template uh, rather than an exception of how Japanese industrial policy is going to work in, in some of these uh, very specialist areas.
0: Leo Lewis is the FT's Asia business editor. He's based in Tokyo. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news.